Well, this morning we're going to continue on. Uh, we've been doing this series called Reset, uh, talking about kind of getting set for the beginning of the year. And some people were asking, are we going to get back to the study that we were doing before? We are. We're going to get through all the Bible, but we're just taking our time to get reset here in this early part of the year. Rest of the month of February, we're really talking specifically about the idea of discipleship, which we were hitting pretty hard Last week, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. That's kind of the same root as discipleship there. Don't be upset when he corrects you. So we're growing and we're, we're learning to, to pray. We're learning to follow the Lord in the various uh, disciplines that he calls us to. Um, part of what we have been seeing the Lord stirring among us is that he doesn't discipline us or, or cause us to grow as disciples just so that we say, look at us, we're doing a good job, but he actually is preparing his church to make a greater impact missionally on the world. That, that was always the call, like go into all the world and make disciples was the great commission of Jesus, and so we continue to receive that commission. When we fill uh, food uh, boxes and do the food pack kind of thing like this weekend, we're not doing that just because we feel good about it. We're doing that because we want to make a global impact on this world. And hats off to you guys for doing that. That was incredibly well done. Uh, it was one of the smoothest events that we've done uh, in that place. I brought a couple pictures because I was uh, down in Atlanta this last end, end of the last week with Amy. And so I'm texting back here, how's the food pack going? How's everything going? And, uh, and Aiden was sending me pictures and I have to say it once again, you all make the hair look, uh, hair nets look really good. So well done uh, on the hair nets. Uh, I like this picture, just sort of seeing everybody at work in the gymnasium and all the things that were going on. But my favorite picture that Aiden sent me when we were down in Atlanta was this. That's Chiz Ryder. You can't almost tell who it is with the hair net on. And I can't tell if he is going to eat that whole like cup of barley or something coming his way, or maybe he was on a special assignment like quality control, but he looks like he is doing something there, uh, and I just like the picture. So uh, awesome. Uh, and, and here's the thing that I would say as we, as we get into the message part today. Maybe you are here today uh, at this service or watching the service online uh, because you hung out with some people on the weekend and you said, I don't know what kind of people take it upon themselves to say I'm going to do 140,000 meals to feed starving children, but I, I want to be around people like that, and I, I want to know why they do what they do. And so maybe you're here actually trying to figure out why people do what they do around here and why the church is on mission in the way that it is. So if that's you, you're actually here at a great time because we've been doing this study on discipleship, part of our Reset series. and. Uh, if you're asking the question, then what, what do you do as a church, and, and who are we called to be as a church? These weeks are trying to answer that question and trying to point us in a biblical answer to it. So last week we talked about discipleship that is personal. Uh, I just want to reiterate to you that I don't think you can over qualify that aspect of discipleship. Discipleship and, and walking with Jesus will always be personal. It will always be personal. So when he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some people say this, some people say this. And then he says, who do you say that I am? That is the pivotal personal discipleship question. And we all have to answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? There will be a point uh, at which you, you can't ride the faith of your friend 
or your spouse or your girlfriend or, or whatever. It, it has to become personal to you. And so one day it will be personal when you stand before Jesus and he either says, I know you or I don't know you. That's going to be very, very personal. So I have an obligation, as I mentioned last week, to say I don't want anybody to stand before Jesus and say, like, I, I never really knew that it was personal. I thought I just came and filled some food bags and I was good. You know, kind of checked the mark and did some good deeds. The good deeds are great. But discipleship becomes personal when you say yes at a personal level to Jesus. So vitally important. The other thing about that is just we love to hear those stories. You know, I've been getting different notes and different cards and emails from people at various times saying, I've been saying yes to Jesus and he's been really showing up in my life and God's been seeing, we've been seeing breakthrough in people's lives. Uh, we love to hear those stories. And so if that's you and you would just say, hey, uh, you know, let us know. Send an email or a note or whatever, carrier pigeon, I don't care. We'll, we will rejoice with you over the good work that God is doing. So now we're gonna shift with the understanding that discipleship must be personal, uh, I want to shift us today along the track that we were talking last week about discipleship being relational. Uh, and here's the cool kind of juxtaposition. On the personal level, we say to Christ, even if no one goes with me, uh, I'm with you. That's personal commitment. Though none go with me, still I will follow. That's the song we used to sing when, when we were young, right? Uh, Though none go with me, still I will follow. And yet, as beautiful as that is, Jesus gives us this really wonderful gift called the body of Christ so that you don't actually have to follow him all on your own. Sometimes you feel alone, sometimes you feel a little beat up, sometimes you feel like you're carrying a lot of weight, but even in our prayer time today, to know that you don't have to do this on your own. And that's the joy of the relational dynamic of discipleship. Somebody say amen. Okay, that means you are a part of, an interdependent part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. So here's what I want to do today as we think about this idea of discipleship. Mathetes was the word that we gave you last week. It's a learner, a pupil, uh, somebody who follows someone's teaching. By the time you get to the book of Acts, it's anybody that is claiming Jesus Christ as Messiah is part of this mathetes, part of this discipleship crowd. So if you are today saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus, you are part of the discipleship journey. The question is, do you know how to be a disciple? And are we equipping you as a church to be a disciple? Are we growing together as disciples of Christ? So being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus does. When we looked at the passage last week in Matthew 16, self-denial, cross-bearing, Jesus following, these are the things that Jesus said, these are what my disciples look like. So if you're gonna come after me, you gotta be willing to do those things. Okay. How do we learn to do that together? I want you to look at Matthew 18 today. It's a, a little bit maybe of an odd passage, but I think it starts us at least as a springboard in the direction that we need to go if we're gonna understand discipleship uh, from a relational lens. And I'm also gonna forewarn you and just tell you 
There's like 15 directions that this message could go that it's not. So I'm not gonna exhaust the idea of discipleship from a relational perspective. I hope when things like that happen, and I can't cover all the points for sake of time, I do hope that you take notes and write things, write your own points that the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, this one is for you personally when you think about what your role is in being a disciple of Christ from a relational lens. So anyway, there will be more, but I just wanna tell you we're not gonna exhaust everything. Uh, Matthew 18 is where we're going to begin, and I'm going to start with verses 15 and following, just a few verses together. Uh, If your brother or sister sins, or your translation may say sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's an Old Testament reference to Deuteronomy. Uh, Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. These are the words of Christ to us. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. Um, I've got several notes that I would like to just mention about this passage. First of all, how many of you are familiar with Matthew 18, 15 and following? We call this the, the Matthew 18 principle. A lot of times people refer to that. And, and what they mean when they say that is when there is a conflict, especially within the body of Christ, that Jesus is giving us a better way to address the conflict right with the person. To go, go to the person first because the alternative and, the, and this is very natural to your old nature, is not to go to the person, but it is to go to everybody else that you know or they know or both and say, you're not gonna believe what this idiot just did, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? So you, you go, it's gossipy or whatever, it's wrong to do, uh, but we do that. That's our, that's our old nature. Uh, we'll do that very, very naturally. And so then within this idea of discipleship and we're trying to become more like Jesus, Jesus actually gives us in this relational dynamic. It's all about how are we reacting, interacting, responding to one another. So somebody's hurt you, that's gonna happen, right? Somebody say amen. It's life. Somebody's gonna sin against you. Somebody's gonna do some misunderstand you. You can fill in the blank a lot of different ways. Jesus cuts against the old nature sort of tendency and he says, here's what you do. Go to the person, talk to the person, explain the situation, what's going on, and then specifically he says, and if if you, uh, if they hear you, if they receive this from you, then you've won them over, and the, the crisis is averted. You didn't have to bring in everybody to pick sides and all of that kind of stuff. And it's only over time that that relational lens takes us then to expand the circle as far as it needs to go. Okay, makes sense? We all get that? In some ways, it's very simple. In some ways, this is actually a very hard teaching to follow. Here's a question. When I was a young Christian, I, I, I encountered this passage pretty early, and I was processing it, trying to understand it. I always thought that Matthew 18 was about instructions for handling conflict. That's how I always thought of it, okay? This is simple. Start with one person. You go to that person. If that doesn't work, then you, you expand the circle a little bit, but you're, you're unpacking this conflict. And it wasn't until I read Ken Sandy's book called The Peacemaker 
that I started understanding this passage not as uh, a treatise on conflict as much as a teaching on restoration. That the heart of Jesus, even as he's expanding these circles and he's talking to his disciples about how they can interact with one another and grow as disciples relationally, that even as that circle expands, the goal is that restoration would happen in the relationship. And some of us are in a place right now where uh, restoration is needed, right? Because you can't get through the journey of following Jesus without bumping into this need. Okay, so we, we understand that. Relationships happen, conflict happens, restoration can happen. It just happens in ever-widening circles and only as big as is needed. I'm gonna give you just a couple notes about this. I said to the first service, uh, this is editor's cut, this is free, these are not my main points, but they felt important to say because already some of you are thinking about situations that's actually very troubling, and I don't want you just to carry that burden, um, so let me give you just a couple points about this. Number one, um, relationships are not easy. Some of you need to be encouraged with that, okay? Jesus would not have given this teaching to his disciples and then later his followers if relationships were easy, if we never had problem of sinning against one another, misunderstanding each other, hurting each other, if that wasn't a thing, he wouldn't have needed to do the teaching. But he did need to do the teaching because it was true in the disciples' day and it's true in our day as well. So somebody say amen to that. Let yourself off the hook if you're saying, why is this hard? It's because it's hard, okay? Relationships aren't easy. That's number one. Number two, uh, it only takes one person to really break a relationship, but it usually needs at least three, you and me and God, to fix them. You know, so when we find ourselves saying like, man, things are, feel tenuous or feel difficult, it's, again, it's because they are. Relationships are not easy. It only takes one person to really screw it up. It often takes three, sometimes more, to fix it. Uh, number three, if you're just jotting these things down, I just wanna encourage you with a few things. Uh, there are relationships that will not be fully healed on this side of heaven. I wish that wasn't true, and I wish I could tell you, hey, just follow Matthew 18, every, all your relationships have no problem at all. It's actually not true, and it's, and it's evidenced in the way that Jesus says there is a point at which you've done all you can do. And the New Testament says things like, as much as it depends upon you to be at, at peace with other people, but there are points at which you would say this relationship from an earthly standpoint may stay broken. Now, you say, well, that's not encouraging. It, it actually is encouraging because it, it alleviates the false guilt of saying this is your fault that this is broken. Okay, sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's just broken. Life can be that way. So just receive that. Uh, time and space uh, to process are generally good things. Uh, trying to cram restoration down somebody's heart usually doesn't work. Um, giving a little space and a little time to process is okay. Uh, but most importantly, obedience is the best thing. So you can't control the outcome of how somebody may receive something or how somebody else may respond or what they will do. Uh, you can control whether or not you will be obedient to the things that Jesus asks you to do. And so be obedient, 
Just allow the Lord to speak to you on that. Okay, that's all free, but felt important to at least say so that you're not just saying, how do I do this Matthew 18 thing? That gives you at least a few handles to work on, and it is not easy. Discipleship, becoming like Jesus, accepting kingdom culture, all the things that we've been talking about is relational. And that's the point that we want to look at here today. It happens, and I think you can even make the argument, it happens best. We become more like Jesus when we are immersed in the body of Christ. We sharpen each other, we encourage each other, we correct each other, all of those kind of things are true. So what I would like to do for the bulk of our remaining time is just look at what does Jesus actually do? Of of the dozens of things that we could say, here are three that stand out to me in the context of relational discipleship. So when you are with other brothers and sisters in Christ, what does God do? So here's the three things um, that we're gonna look at today. That there is kingdom perspective that is developed in you that there is a restoration that begins to happen in you, specifically in the context of discipleship and relationship, and there is spiritual growth that happens, all of these things in a very unique way developed in relationship. We started Matthew 18 about half or three quarters of the way through the the chapter. If you look at the beginning of Matthew 18, um, go back to verse one. It's a very interesting way that this particular uh, passage starts, and, and, and we want to understand the context of like what we're talking about. Uh, here's how Matthew 18 begins. Are you all with me? Somebody say, hey, hey. Okay, good. Just making sure you're, you're cranking. Some, I, I don't want to leave you in the dust. Some of you are sort of like, I, I still got to figure out this relationship stuff. You do. Just give it time, and the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. Matthew 18 begins with the disciples coming to Jesus, verse 1, with the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Just wow. They, they're starting to understand this idea, kingdom of heaven, culture shift, uh, Jesus kingdom, not a worldly kingdom, all of this kind of stuff. And so they come to this question, so who's the greatest in the kingdom? And you know they've come to Jesus with this question in the various places of scripture, and they're not talking in theory. You know, they're not, they're not saying to Jesus, hey, we love this idea of kingdom. By the way, uh, what kind of person might be really high up in said kingdom that you are preaching? What they're saying is, is like, which one of us is it, right? And I imagine that Jesus, upon hearing this question from his disciples, who he loves and who he's walking with, relationship, he's building into them, he's helping them, he's teaching them, he's correcting them, all this stuff. There had to be moments like this where Jesus receives the question, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus probably was like, oh, man. He had to feel that, at least a little bit. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, man. He also could have just said to him, me, idiots. <laughs> What's the matter with you? We're talking about the whole time. He didn't say that. That's not, that's not even a loose translation. Here's what he does, though. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. Listen very carefully to what he said. And he said, truly, I tell you, Unless you change, 
and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Just let that simmer for a second because if you're a disciple of Jesus in this moment, you're probably saying to yourself, that was not the question we asked him. Like we asked him, who's great in the kingdom? And we were kind of talking about (laughs) us, which one of us is great in the kingdom? And he says, as he puts a child among them, you have to change, say change. Everybody hates change and everybody knows we need change and the church wrestles with change. I mean, this change is a tough thing. Here's Jesus saying, you gotta change. You can't just stay where you are, even if you are central Pennsylvania stubborn, you know? You've gotta change. And you've got to become like a little child. But here's what strikes me. What strikes me is he's not even talking now about who's greatest. He's talking about who's even in. Because he says, unless you change and you become like a little child, and I think by that there's a whole bunch of teaching you could do. I've heard lots of things. I've even taught on this. We're not talking about becoming childish. We're talking about becoming childlike, which means we're trusting and we're joyful and we're actually adventurous and all of those things. He says, unless you become childlike, you don't even get in. Stick that in your discipleship book and think about it for a while. Like you're not willing to change. You're not willing to do it his way. You're not willing to to have a heart that's responsive and open and trusting and adventurous and all of those kind of things. Jesus says you don't even get into the kingdom. That should cause us to go, whoa, whoa. Okay, this discipleship thing, Jesus takes this pretty serious. Okay, what does this mean? Kingdom perspective is developed, and Jesus is doing it right here in real time in his disciples' life in the context of relationship. He didn't say, just go read this book, go think about this theory or whatever. He he stands among them. He speaks to them, and you know he loves them. You know he loves these guys, but he loves them enough to say, you guys, you, you gotta be willing to change. And for heaven's sake, you've gotta get off of this idea of who's the greatest, He says, whoever takes a lowly position, that's how he goes on, like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom is bigger than me. We learn this in the context of relationship. This is discipleship. This is important. God's kingdom is bigger than me. God's perspective is deeper than mine. And one of the ways that God expands my kingdom perspective is through other kingdom people. So in other words, if I simply surround myself with people who think like me, talk like me, act like me, everything like that, I will probably have a stunted view of the bigger picture of God's kingdom. And heaven forbid, I may even have to rub elbows with people that I disagree with to get a bigger kingdom perspective. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, I know some of you were like, I'm not saying any men to that, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. Okay, so we gotta change. We gotta become like the little children. God uses in the discipleship sphere, in the relational component of the discipleship sphere, he uses other people to expand your kingdom perspective. So while you guys were up here uh, making those hairnets look good, Amy and I hopped on a plane and we were down in Atlanta this last week, at the end of the week, 
uh, doing some stuff with Revival Prayer Institute, and we were doing some prayer stuff, College of Prayer, and some other things like that that had been previously scheduled, and it was glorious. It was a beautiful time. I have a couple pictures for you here. Uh, this is a the larger group of people that were meeting together. You know, we spent a lot of time uh, praying for gospel access to countries that, that don't have it. You know, we're praying for the persecuted church. We're, you know, remembering brothers and sisters. It's really some very beautiful, powerful uh, times of prayer. This next picture is just a couple of folks that we met that were there. Uh, the guy in the back is from Pakistan, we, and Amy asked him, are we able to show your picture? We're gonna get you guys in trouble. They said, no, it's fine. We're already in trouble most of the time. Uh, the guy in the back's from Pakistan, and he's leading people to Jesus. Uh, the guy in the front's actually from Canada. Uh, his brother-in-law is from Uganda. He's there on the right side, and then you got the two central Pennsylvania kids in the middle. Uh, you want to talk about a different kingdom perspective and sit down and have breakfast with a couple Albanians and, uh, and Russians that we did. The next slide is a couple of guys. These guys were joyful, loving, awesome people of, uh, children of God. Man, these guys are servants of, of the Most High God. And, and I'll tell you what, they, they are living in all of the ways that you and I, our discipleship runs into our first world problems. They're, they're running into the real deal. I mean, persecution, uh, the guy on the left side, uh, he's from Moscow and he's like Mr. Joyful. I mean, most bubbly, joyful person you ever met. He's like, oh yeah, they run, ran most of the pastors out of Moscow. You can't really do a whole lot there. And so, well, are you doing stuff in Moscow? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm still there. Are you worried? Is it dangerous? Oh yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Okay, you know, and I think he told us when we were having breakfast the first morning, he goes, he goes, yeah, I'm still not quite sure how I'm getting back into Moscow. That actually might be a little tricky. Well, I'll figure it out. The Lord will have, you know, okay. Plans are a little different than our plans. But you want to get a kingdom perspective, you, you got to see kingdom people, you know, and that's why I'm glad we're part of Christian and Missionary Alliance. I'm glad that we're doing things like a food pack and sending food to starving kids around the world and families and things like that. It's just, it's a global perspective. God's kingdom is bigger than mine. Um, that's one of the things that happens in this sphere of discipleship. Relationally, God expands our perspective. My perspective from a kingdom realm has changed drastically even from talking with people here in this very church because God in many ways sends the nations to us. And so when I get to hear of your experience and what does it mean to follow Christ in your context, every time you ask that question, God will expand your kingdom perspective. So we grow together. The second thing that happens uh, that I'd like to talk about today in this realm of relationship is that restoration happens. Um, and again, I'm sticking in Matthew 18 with you today, but if you go just a few verses farther down, Jesus is still talking. He's, he's already talked and answered their goofy question about who's the greatest. He talks about you gotta change, you gotta become like a child to get into the kingdom of God. He's talking about that. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? So why is he talking about that? Well, as I think about this question of, of what does it mean for us to grow in discipleship and how does God do that in the context of relationship, it seems to me that Jesus notices when somebody is missing. And he's using this metaphor of a shepherd and the sheep, but he's talking about people, we know this. 
And he, he talks about himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep so that they're not lost and they're not stuck and they're not outside the fold, but rather they're able to be brought in. And then he goes on to say, and if he finds it, he's actually happier about that one sheep than the 99 who didn't wander off. Why? Because the heart of the good shepherd is one of restoration. And restoration happens in relationship. Restoration happened today when people said, I'm gonna just stand by and I'm gonna pray alongside somebody who needs a little bit of extra help today, okay? That's an, that's an eternal thing. I don't think you realize, some of you, how, how big a deal that actually is. Because Jesus said, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'll actually be there in the midst with them. How beautiful is that picture? So Amy and I go down to this conference, and before we sat down for the first session, before we sat down, there's a guy that we knew that was there, and uh, he's from Pennsylvania also, and he goes, oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. I need you. I need, to, I need you guys to pray for me. So we didn't even put our stuff down. And he's like, dude, we, I, I got to pray. And he, he's been through a lot of stuff. He's, he was feeling a lot of uh, pain, you know, just this suffering and struggling that he's walking through. It's stuff that, that like many of you are walking through. So he said, yeah, let's pray for you. And so we did. And we prayed for him and his wife. Just try to bless them, encourage them, walk alongside them, right? Because restoration happens in relationship. And the Lord gave me this image, and I shared it with him uh, while we were praying. I don't know if you, any of you would remember this. You may be too old, you may be too young, or whatever. But when, when our kids were young, we would buy them these little toys. Uh, they were really cheap. You buy them at the dollar store or whatever. And they all did the exact same thing. It was really not super, um, super suspenseful, if you will. Uh, you, you put them in water, and they grow. You remember those things? Okay. And it's like, well, what happens when you put the dinosaur in the water? It grows and becomes bigger. Okay. What happens when you put the little tree in the water? It also grows. Oh, it's amazing. Just like the monkey. And just like, okay, yeah, we get it. So not super eventful, but we would use those things. And, and the, the, the toys, you know, you let, set them in the water and they, they would kind of puff up and, and grow. And like, oh, look how big they are. But then we found something else interesting that would happen is that you take them back out of the water and they would dehydrate. And then when they dehydrated, they would shrink but it wasn't pretty because like they didn't just shrink they kind of shrank in like deformed and slightly hideous ways you know like now you're small but your arm's too long and your head's a little too big on one side and you know your face is bulging out and I mean it was it was not pretty when these things were in the process of of drying out and I said to my friend we prayed for him I said I think that's kind of where you're at right now it's, it's not real pretty, you know. You're not real pretty. He said, thank you for encouraging me today. <laughs> really, really so. Not only am I hurting, but I'm ugly too. <laughs> but he knew what I was saying. It's just, you know, you, you, you feel a little lifeless at times. You feel a little dried up at times. And the neat thing is that those little kind of deformed toys, if you put them back in the water, they actually got a little healthy looking again. Um, and I think that happens in the context of the body of Christ. I think that happened today in somebody's life. Very beautiful. So in healing, we lean on one another, and as Galatians 6 says, we, we bear one another's burdens. That's where we started our prayer time. So kingdom perspective is developed, and restoration happens. God uses relationship for those things to happen. The last one is that spiritual growth happens in relationship. 
Uh, Tozer talked about it this way. He said, when, when somebody withdraws from the fellowship of believers, what they are essentially revealing is that they have nothing to share and maybe never did have something to share. When the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, gifts are given so that the body of Christ would be built up. And so when you lean in together, you know, growth actually happens, not only you using your gifts, but your gifts cause growth within the body of Christ as well. And you can look at any number of things. You know, I mean, you can look at the, the talents uh, and the gifts that you have. Uh, I, I look at these young people right here. I was talking to our staff, and I said, I guarantee you uh, one of them is probably a worship leader. We just don't know it yet. So when I keep hearing people say, man, we really need some more worship leaders. Um, maybe somebody, you know, I'm poking you a little bit today. Say, hey, maybe that's me. Uh, some of you have gifts that you would say, yeah, I, I can serve in the media booth. Um, I'd love to do that. That's something I could do to contribute to the body of Christ. When you use your gifts, spiritual growth happens. It happens in you, and it happens within the body of Christ. So Tozer says, you know, you have something to share, then you, you share it. And, and you don't share things that the Holy Spirit isn't asking you to share, and you don't try to give things that you don't have. That's how you get burned out. And there's a lot of well-intentioned, Jesus-loving people that, that get burned out because they're trying to give something that they don't have. So spiritual growth happens. And so in this context of relationship, we, we just have the, all these incredible things. You know, the Psalms actually say that God puts the lonely in families, in family. And the relational aspect of discipleship can end up becoming a family. That's a very special promise. That unity is a very special challenge. That's why Jesus said things like Matthew 18, when somebody sins against you, how are you gonna handle it? Because the enemy is gonna come at you with everything to tear apart unity in the body of Christ. We pray for that. That's one of the things we pray for maybe more than anything, is we say, Lord, would you help us to be a body of Christ that is unified? Because the enemy will go after that again and again and again. I'm gonna give one little sidebar on this, and then I promise I'm gonna wrap up here. Um, but the sidebar is important. I've noticed over the last, um, especially three, four years, there, there is a growing number, and I don't think it's just in my circles. I think there is a growing number of voices, authors, speakers, teachers, leaders, who are increasing the ratio of what they do into the realm of criticizing what everybody else is doing. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you get the concept, you know, okay? So in other words, like our job as teachers and preachers and leaders and, and your job as part of the body of Christ is to, to elevate Jesus and to, to see his mission expand or whatever. But more and more what I've seen is, is leaders who are spending all their time looking at other leaders and saying, I don't think he's doing that right. I don't think she's doing that right. I don't think she should be doing that at all. And I'm gonna do another podcast next week to tell you all about why. And so when I see that, I just go, caution. And the caution is, it doesn't mean that there's never a place relationally that we need to sharpen each other or challenge each other or whatever. But if your ministry 
or the people that you really kind of follow, if their ministry is all about the daily calling out of other Christians for how they're doing it wrong, I think the Holy Spirit would say, that is not good relational discipleship. Somebody say amen to that. There's a better call. There's more important work to be done. And I'll give you one final little challenge with that at the end, but I think that was important to say. So family, we get a special promise, and in unity, we get a special challenge. And in community, we have a special opportunity, and that's what God is doing as we grow together. A hundred more things that we could talk about, but let me just give you this example. Do, do a little study on your own of the one another's of the New Testament. Chuck, we just talked about this last week. It's used over a hundred times, this imperative. Love one another. That particular command is given 16 times. Be devoted to one another. It's Romans 12. Honor one another. Build one another up. Be like-minded toward one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. That's Galatians 5. Bear one another's burdens. That's Galatians 6.2. Pray for one another. James 5. Confess your faults to one another. James 5.16. And you will be healed. This whole idea that Jesus intended for us to be together. That's how we grow. So do the study. You don't have to, you just do the study. So discipleship is our calling. We know this is true. It has to start and and be personal if it's gonna be real. Today we said it's gonna be relational, that God is going to put you with other people, brothers and sisters in Christ, to help you grow. Here's what I'd like to do. Worship team can come up and, uh, and lead us forward. Uh, This would be an easy message for you to say like, I mean, I'm really not sure what you're asking me to do. I'm gonna give you sort of four very quick sort of activation points. And if this resonates, then just receive it and allow the Holy Spirit to to use it this week. Uh, Stand up, if you would. Let's stand together. And and this is, you know, we're gonna take this seriously, right? So this is in your heart an opportunity to simply say, Jesus, I, I want to be your disciple, Right? I want to grow in this specific area. I want to be a blessing to other people. And so here's four things. Activation, receive it where, where you are. Uh, number one, I will take responsibility for my relationships. In other words, I, I, I begin to look around me and realize I'm not doing this thing in a, in a vacuum. I actually have an opportunity to be a blessing to other people in a variety of ways. I will take responsibility for my relationships. I'm not gonna do this thing alone. So just right where you are, if you say, yes, I, 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 that makes sense. It's a general kind of sense, but I, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to activate that in me. Just raise your hand just so I can see it. Okay, I'm gonna take responsibility. That's an easy one. Uh, number two, I will participate in the kingdom work with others. This is where the church goes from, you know, moseying along to some things get set on fire, right? Because you have latent gifts, some of you. You say, wow, God might call something out of me. God might entrust me with something new that I didn't have. I'm not gonna give something I don't have, and I'm not gonna try to pick up every responsibility. That's a sure way that I'm gonna be burned out, but I will participate in the kingdom work with others. God, you show me what to do. Just raise a hand if you say, that resonates with me, yeah. Praise the Lord. Let that be activated in you. Uh, number three, and this is what we were just referring to a minute ago. Um, the reason that 
the, the critical voice, here's what he's doing wrong, here's what she's doing wrong, all that, whatever. Here's why this is so important. There is an accuser of the brethren. You know this, right? Who is it? It's the devil. You don't want to be on his team, right? So we renounce that. Say, that does not mean I don't admonish in love. That doesn't mean that I don't ever disagree. That doesn't mean those things, but it means I'm not going to spend all of my time or the majority of my time figuring out what everybody else is doing wrong in kingdom work. I am going to be a person who is committed to kingdom work. Amen. Amen. So I'm not gonna play the role of the accuser in the body of Christ, and I don't have to be the Holy Spirit for everybody else, right? Let him, he does a really good job at that. So when you see the stuff that you don't like or you disagree with or she shouldn't have said that, he shouldn't have done this or whatever, for heaven's sake, just say a prayer for him. Say a prayer for him. Okay. Uh, the last one, uh, I will seek to bring healing to those in need as directed by the Holy Spirit. And that last phrase is really important. It'll keep you from picking up things that you're not supposed to pick up. Uh, you are not supposed to pick up every need. You're not the Savior. You're not the accuser. You're not the Holy Spirit. And you're not the Savior. But God is going to use you in the relational call to make disciples and to be a disciple. So the last one is I will seek to bring healing to those in need as directed by the Holy Spirit. Just raise your hand if you say, yeah, something's coming to mind the Lord's already sort of showing me some things. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So, Father, we're thankful today, and we receive from you the call. Uh, you said, if anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, follow me. We talked last week about how personal that is, and I pray you would continue to make that a very personal call uh, for each of us. We're not coasting on somebody else's commitment, but we are personally committed to you. And if no one goes with me, God, I'll still follow you. That's personal commitment. And today, as we think about the body of Christ, we hear this, this call, this, this relational sort of welling up, this, this idea that we're actually not on our own. And wow, what a joy. What a joy to know that we are not alone. What a joy to know that there are brothers and sisters that can pray for and can carry the burden and, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says I got something for you to do in the body of Christ you're going to be part of the pouring out and the building up of disciples in the relational sphere so Lord thank you for activating those things in us we receive it we pray that you would continue to speak to us as we go and as we close this time with worship. Jesus, would you continue just to be lifted up among us. For we pray all of this in your name and for your good cause and for our good king. And all God's people said, 